My brothers and sisters, as I have sat here, I've felt a great desire to express my love to you and to assure all who are within the sound of my voice of the love of their Heavenly Father. And on behalf of my brethren, express gratitude for your willingness to come up this day to be nourished by the good word of God. I enjoy hiking in the mountains, and as I move along in the backcountry, I often use a compass, maps, and signs to guide me toward my destination. These tools prove to be very helpful, even invaluable, when faced with unfamiliar roads and trails that run in every direction along the route. Life is full of many intersecting roads and trails. There are so many paths to follow, so many voices calling out, low here or low there. There is such a variety and volume of media flooding our personal space, most of it intent on hurting us down a path that is broad and traveled by many. When pondering which of these voices to listen to or which road among the many is right, have you ever asked yourself, as Joseph Smith did, what is to be done? Who of all these voices and roads is right, or are they all wrong together? If any one of them be right, which is it and how shall I know it? My witness to you today is that Jesus Christ continues to mark the path, lead the way, and define every point on our journey. His path is straight and narrow and leads toward light and life and endless day. May I share an example from the scriptures with you? At the Lord's command, Lehi and his children left Jerusalem and began an epic journey toward a land of promise. After being camped for a season in a valley by the river, the Lord told Lehi one night it was time to continue their journey into the wilderness. With much on his mind, he walked out his tent door the next morning and, to his great astonishment, found an object before him on the ground that could only have been placed there by the hand of God. It was a compass, a liahona in their language, and its pointers were constructed to guide them on their journey, allowing them to steer a course where they could prosper and remain safe in the more fertile parts of their route. But that was not all. Writing appeared on this compass that was plain and easy to read and even changed from time to time, giving the family better understanding concerning the ways of the Lord. During their journey, this Leahona or compass proved to be invaluable in helping Lehi's family prosper and eventually arrive at their destination. But it's important to note Nephi's observation that it was only through the faith, diligence, and heed they gave to the compass that it worked. Of this marvelous helper that guided them through the wilderness, Nephi simply observed, And thus we see that by small means the Lord can bring about great things. Nephi's conclusion was not lost on Alma five hundred years later when he reminded his own son about the importance of the Leahona. He explained to Helaman that the Lord prepared this compass to show their fathers the course they should travel in the wilderness. But because that miraculous device worked by small means, their fathers were slothful and forgot to exercise their faith and diligence. 
As a result, he explained, this marvelous device ceased to work, and they did not progress in their journey or travel a straight course. But they tarried in the wilderness and were afflicted because of their negligence. Oh, my son, Alma continued, do not let us be slothful because of the easiness of the way, for so it was with our fathers. For so was it prepared for them that if they would look, they might live. Even so it is with us. The way is prepared, and if we will look, we may live forever. And now, my son, see that ye take care of these sacred things. Yea, see that ye look to God and live. The Lord provides guidance and directions to individuals and families today, just as he did with Lehi. This very general conference is a modern liahona, a time and place to receive inspired guidance and direction that prospers us and helps us follow God's path through the more fertile parts of mortality. Consider that we are gathered to hear counsel from prophets and apostles who have prayed mightily and prepared carefully to know what the Lord would have them say. We have prayed for them and for ourselves that the Comforter would teach us the mind and will of God. Surely there is no better time or place for the Lord to direct His people than in this conference. The teachings of this conference are the compass of the Lord. In the coming days you may, as Lehi did, walk out your front door and find a Liahona or Ensign or other Church publication in your mailbox. And it will contain the proceedings of this conference. As with the Liahona of old, this new writing will be plain and easy to read and will give you and your family understanding concerning the ways and paths of the Lord. As Nephi and Alma both remind us, the Lord provides direction for our journey according to the faith, diligence, and heed we give to that direction. He is not likely to reveal new paths if we have not faithfully followed Him along those He has already marked. Provident prospering along the way comes to those who diligently follow inspired counsel, making it their walk and talk until, once again, a new writing appears to help them progress in their journey toward the land of promises. My brothers and sisters, prophets and apostles through the ages are our compass from the Lord. His direction through them is plain. The charted course from them is sure. His path, like His yoke, is easy. But do not be deceived by the easiness of His way assuming it to be a small matter or a thing of naught. But rather take care of these sacred things and look to Him so you can be like Him and live with Him forever. I stand today as a witness that our Father's promises will all be fulfilled, that He sent His only begotten to the earth to mark the path and lead the way, that the Father and the Son appeared to Joseph Smith on the morning of a beautiful clear day early in the spring of 1820 
restoring thereafter all that is required to successfully complete man's earthly journey. And that a prophet today, President Gordon B. Hinckley, points the way for those who will look and live forever. That we will exercise our faith and diligently give heed to the directions and pointers of Latter-day Leahonas, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, my brothers and sisters, we've had a remarkable conference. It's literally been an inspirational feast at the table of the Lord. The music, the prayers, the talks have been wonderful. We've been informed and uplifted. Our faith has been strengthened. The growth of the Church has been made evident by the fact that our words have been translated into 80 languages and our message has been broadcast by satellite all across the world and heard by people in many, many lands. It is all a wonderful fruition of the wonderful words spoken by Moroni to the boy prophet on the night of September 21, 1823. He was a young man, then a poor farm boy with very little education. He had nothing. His parents had nothing. He lived in a rural community, scarcely recognized outside its borders. And yet the angel said to him that, quote, he was a messenger sent from the presence of God, that God had a work for Joseph to do, and that his name should be had for good and evil among all nations, kindreds, and tongues, or that it should be both good and evil spoken of among all people. How could such a thing be? Joseph must have wondered. He must have been absolutely stunned. Yet it has all come to pass, and far greater will yet come to pass. On December 23rd of this year, 2005, we intend to honor his birthday with a great celebration in tribute to him. I intend, if possible, to go to the place of his birth to repeat what Joseph F. Smith, the sixth president of the Church, did on December 23, 1905, a century ago. On that occasion, he dedicated the monument, which marks the place of the prophet's birth, and where a memorial cottage has also been built. <clears throat> when I am in Vermont, Presidents Monson and Faust, with others of the general authorities, will be here in the conference center. This great hall will be filled, and the program will be carried far and wide by satellite. There will be appropriate music and words of tribute spoken both in South Royalton and Salt Lake City to the great prophet of this dispensation. What the choir sang so magnificently this morning in tribute to the prophet will be but a dress rehearsal for the occasion in December. We look forward to this. <clears throat> and hope all of you will be with us at that time.
We leave with you our testimony of the divinity of this work. What a wonderful work it is. How empty our lives would be without it. God, our eternal Father, lives. He loves us. He watches over us. Jesus is the Christ, the Redeemer of mankind. They have restored their work in this last and final dispensation through the instrumentality of the Prophet Joseph. I so testify in all solemnity and leave my love and my blessing with you, my beloved brethren and sisters of this grateful Church. God bless you, everyone. Now, in closing, I wish to thank all of those who have done so very, very much to make of this a great conference, the many who work behind the scenes to make all of this possible. They work night and day to bring about this great result. The ushers, the technicians, the security force, the first aid people, the traffic officers, the translators, the secretaries who labor over our talks and write them time after time. <laughs> God bless all of us, I humbly pray. May we strive to walk in righteousness before Him. I humbly ask and leave my benediction with you in the sacred and holy name of our Redeemer, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters, my dear friends, during my professional life as an airline pilot, I sometimes had passengers visit the cockpit of my Boeing 747. They ask about the many switches, instruments, systems, and procedures, and how all this technical equipment would help such a huge and beautiful airplane fly. As with all pilots, I enjoyed the fact that they were impressed by the apparent complexity of this plane and that they wondered what kind of a magnificent and brilliant person it takes to operate it. <laughs> At this point of my story, my wife and children would kindly interrupt and say with a twinkling in their eyes, pilots are born with a great measure of natural humility. <laughs> to the visitor in my cockpit, I would explain that it takes a great aerodynamic design many auxiliary systems and programs and powerful engines to make this flying machine equal to the task of bringing comfort and safety to those joining the flight. To simplify my explanation by focusing on the basics, I would add, all you really need is a strong forward thrust, a powerful upward lift, and the right aircraft attitude and the laws of nature will carry the 747 and its passengers safely across continents and oceans, over high mountains and dangerous thunderstorms to its destination. In recent years, I have often contemplated that being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints invites us to ask similar questions. What are the basics, the fundamental principles of our membership in the kingdom of God on earth? After all is said and done, 
what will really carry us at times of greatest need to our desired eternal destination. The Church, with all its organizational structure and programs, offers many important activities for its members aimed at helping families and individuals to serve God and each other. Sometimes, however, it can appear that these programs and activities are closer to the center of our heart and soul than the core doctrines and principles of the gospel. Procedures, programs, policies, and patterns of organization are helpful for our spiritual progress here on earth. But let's not forget they are subject to change. In contrast, the core of the gospel, the doctrine and the principles, will never change. Living according to the basic gospel principles will bring power, strength, and spiritual self-reliance into the lives of all Latter-day Saints. Faith is such a principle of power. We need this source of power in our lives. God works by power, but this power is usually exercised in response to our faith. Faith without works is dead. God works according to the faith of his children. The Prophet Joseph explained, I teach them correct principles and they govern themselves. To me, this teaching is beautifully straightforward as we strive to understand, internalize, and live correct gospel principles. We will become more spiritually self-reliant. The principle of spiritual self-reliance grows out of a fundamental doctrine of the Church that God has granted us, agency. I believe that moral agency is one of the greatest gifts of God unto his children next to life itself. When I study and ponder moral agency and its eternal consequences, I realize that we are truly spirit children of God and therefore should act accordingly. This understanding also reminds me that as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we are part of a great worldwide family of saints. The organizational structure of the Church allows great flexibility according to the size, growth pattern, and needs of our congregations. There is a basic unit program with a very simple organizational structure and fewer meetings. We also have large wards with great organizational resources to serve one another. All are established within the inspired programs of the Church to help members come unto Christ and be perfected in Him. All these varied options are equal in divine value because the doctrine of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ is the same in each unit. I testify as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ that he lives, that the gospel is true, and that it offers the answers to all personal and collective challenges that children of God have on this earth today. This summer, my wife and I visited with members of the Church in many countries throughout Europe. 
In some parts of Europe, the Church has been present for many years, even since 1837. There is a great heritage of faithful members in Europe. Currently, we have more than 400,000 members in Europe. As we look at all the generations who have immigrated from Europe to America during the 19th and 20th centuries, that total number could easily be multiplied a few times. Why did so many faithful members leave their home countries in those early days of the Church? Many reasons can be named to escape persecution, to help build, to help build the Church in America, to improve their economic circumstances, the desire to be close to a temple, and many more. Europe still feels the consequence of this exodus. But the strength that comes from several faithful generations of Church members is now becoming more apparent. We see more young men and women and more senior couples serve missions for the Lord. We see more temple marriages. We see more confidence and courage by the members to share the restored gospel. Among the peoples of Europe and many other parts of the world, there is a spiritual vacuum of Christ's true teachings. This vacuum must, can, and will be filled with the message of the restored gospel as our wonderful members live and proclaim this gospel with greater courage and faith. With the expansion of the Church in Europe, there are now countries where the Church has been for less than 15 years. I spoke with a mission president serving in his homeland of Russia, who has been a member for only seven years. He told me, the same month I was baptized, I was called as a branch president. <laughs> Did he feel overwhelmed at times? Absolutely. Did he try to implement the full range of church programs? Fortunately not. How did he grow so strong in such a small congregation in such a short time? He explained, I knew with all my soul the Church was true. The doctrine of the gospel filled my mind and my heart as we joined the Church. We felt part of a family. We felt warmth, trust, and love. We were only few but we all tried to follow the Savior. They supported each other. They did the best they could, and they knew the Church was true. It was not the organization that had attracted him, but the light of the gospel. And this light strengthened those good members. In many countries, the Church is still in its beginnings, and the organizational circumstances are sometimes far from perfect. However, the members may have a perfect testimony of the truth in their hearts. As the members will stay in their countries and build the Church despite economic challenges and hardships, future generations will be grateful to those courageous modern-day pioneers. They abide by the loving invitation the First Presidency given in 1999, quote, in our day, the Lord has seen fit to provide the blessings of the gospel, including an increased number of temples in many parts of the world. Therefore, 
We wish to reiterate the long-standing counsel to members of the Church to remain in their homelands rather than immigrate to the United States. As members throughout the world remain in their homelands, working to build the Church in their native countries, great blessings will come to them personally and to the Church collectively." End of quote. May I add a word of caution to those of us who live in large wards and stakes? We have to be careful that the center of our testimony is not located in the social dimension of the Church community or the wonderful activities, programs, and organizations of our wards and stakes. All of these things are important and valuable to have, but they are not enough. Even friendship is not enough. We recognize that we are living in a time of turmoil, disaster, and war. We and many others feel strongly the great need for defense and for refuge from the storm and from wrath when it shall be poured out without mixture upon the whole earth. How do we find such a place of safety? The prophet of God, even President Gordon B. Hinckley, has taught. Our safety lies in the virtue of our lives, our strength in our righteousness. Recall with me how Jesus Christ instructed his apostles clearly and directly at the beginning of his mortal ministry, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This was also the beginning of the ministry of the Twelve Apostles, and I suspect that they had a feeling of inadequacy as I deeply have, being one who has also been called to the sacred work. May I suggest that the Savior himself teaches us here a lesson about core doctrine and priorities in life. Individually, we need to first follow him. And as we do this, the Savior will bless us beyond our own capacity to become what he wants us to be. To follow Christ is to become more like Him. It is to learn from His character. As spirit children of our Heavenly Father, we do have the potential to incorporate Christ-like attributes into our life and character. The Savior invites us to learn His gospel by living His teachings. To follow Him is to apply correct principles and then Witness for ourselves the blessings that follow. This process is very complex and very simple at the same time. Ancient and modern prophets described it with three words. Keep the commandments. Nothing more, nothing less. Developing Christ-like attributes in our lives is not an easy task, especially when we move away from generalities and abstractions and begin to deal with real life. The test comes in practicing what we proclaim. The reality check comes when Christ-like attributes need to become visible in our lives as husband or wife, as father or mother, as son or daughter, in our friendships, in our employment, in our business, and in our recreation. We can recognize our growth as can those around us as we gradually increase to act in all holiness before him. 
The scriptures describe a number of Christ-like attributes we need to develop during the course of our lives. They include knowledge and humility, charity and love, obedience and diligence, faith and hope. These personal character qualities stand independent of the organizational status of our church unit, our economic circumstances, our family situation, culture, race, or language. Christ-like attributes are gifts from God. They cannot be developed without His help. The one help we all need is given to us freely through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Having faith in Jesus Christ and in His atonement means relying completely on Him, trusting in His infinite power, intelligence, and love. Christ-like attributes come into our lives as we exercise our agency righteously. Faith in Jesus Christ leads to action. When we have faith in Christ, we trust the Lord enough to follow His commandments, even when we do not completely understand the reason for them. In seeking to become more like the Savior, we need to reevaluate our lives regularly and rely through the path of true repentance upon the merits of Jesus Christ and the blessings of His Atonement. Developing Christ-like attributes can be a painful process. We need to be ready to accept direction and correction from the Lord and His servants. This worldwide conference with its music and spoken word offers spiritual power, direction, and blessings from on high. It is a time when the voice of personal inspiration and revelation will bring peace to our souls and will teach us how to become more Christ-like. This voice will be as sweet as the voice of a dear friend, and it will fill our souls when our hearts are sufficiently contrite. By becoming more like the Savior, we will grow in our ability to abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. We will lay aside the things of this world and seek for the things of a better. This leads me back to my aerodynamic analogy from the beginning. I spoke of focusing on the basics. Christ-like attributes are the basics. They are the fundamental principles that will create the wind beneath our wings. As we develop Christ-like attributes in our own lives step by step, they will bear us up as on eagles' wings. Our faith in Jesus Christ will provide power and a strong forward thrust. Our unwavering and active hope will provide a powerful upward lift. Both faith and hope will carry us across oceans of temptations, over mountains of afflictions, and bring us safely back to our eternal home and destination. Of this I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. On one occasion, the Savior asked a question to Peter three times. Simon, son of Jonas, loves thou me? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. 
Because he was deeply concerned with the welfare of our Heavenly Father's children, the Lord gave Peter the special charge of feeding the sheep. He reaffirmed the same concern in modern times through a revelation given to Joseph Smith. Now I say unto you, and what I say unto you, I say unto all the twelve, Arise, and gird up your loins, take up your cross, follow me, and feed my sheep. As we study the scriptures, we notice that the Savior ministered to people according to their specific needs. A good example of this occurred when he was near Capernaum, and Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with the Lord to come into his house and bless his daughter who was dying. Jesus went with Jairus even though the crowd made it difficult for him to move fast. And then a messenger came telling Jairus his daughter was already dead. Even grieving as he was, Jairus kept his steadfast faith in the Lord, who comforted the heart of that father, saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John, and the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her, but he said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth, and took her by the hand, and called, saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straight away, and he commanded to give her meat. Jesus showed patience and love to all who came to him, seeking relief for their physical, emotional, or spiritual illnesses, and who felt discouraged and downtrodden. To follow the Savior's example, each one of us must look around and reach out to the sheep who are facing the same circumstances, and lift them up and encourage them to proceed on the journey towards eternal life. This need today is as great or perhaps even greater than when the Savior walked on this earth. As shepherds, we must understand that we should nurture each one of our sheep to bring them to Christ, which is the purpose of all we do in this Church. Any activity, meeting, or program should focus on the same objective. As we stay in tune with the needs of the people, we can strengthen them and help them overcome their challenges so they will remain steadfast in the way which will lead them back to our Heavenly Father's presence and help them endure to the end. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about people, not programs. Sometimes, in the haste of fulfilling our Church responsibilities, we spend too much time concentrating on programs instead of focusing on people and ended up taking their real needs for granted. When things like that happen, we lose the perspective of our callings, neglect people, and prevent them from reaching their divine potential to gain eternal life. As I was about to have my twelfth birthday, my bishop invited me for an interview and taught me how to prepare to receive the Aaronic priesthood and be ordained a deacon. As the interview was coming to an end, he pulled out a set of forms from his desk and challenged me to fill them out. They were mission call papers. I was astonished. After all, I was only eleven. But, but that bishop had a vision of the future and of the blessings that would be mine if I prepared properly to serve a mission when my time came. He showed he really cared about me. He told me the steps I should take to prepare both financially and spiritually to serve the Lord. After that day, he interviewed me at least twice a year until I was 19 and encouraged me to remain faithful 
in my preparation. He kept my missionary forms in his files and mentioned them whenever we had an interview. With my parents' help and with the encouragement of a loving and patient bishop, I served the mission. The mission helped me gain a perspective of the blessings God has in his store for all who endure to the end. It does not matter whether it is a child, youth, or adult. Everyone needs to feel loved. We have been counseled for several years to focus on working with new converts and less active members. People will remain in the Church when they feel someone cares for them. Among the last instructions the Savior gave His Apostles, He said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. People are most receptive to our influence when they feel that we truly love them, and not only because we have a calling to fulfill. As we express through love for people, they will be able to feel the influence of the Spirit and may feel motivated to follow our teachings. It is not always easy to love people for what they are. The Prophet Mormon explained what we should do if such challenges arise. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, pray unto the Father with all the energy of heart that ye may be filled with this love which he hath bestowed upon all who are true followers of his Son, Jesus Christ, that ye may become the sons of God, that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, that we may have this hope, that we may be purified even as he is pure. Christ himself ministered to people, lifting the heavy laden, giving hope to the disheartened, and seeking after the ones who were lost. He showed people how much He loved and understood them, and how precious they were. He acknowledged their divine nature and eternal value. Even when calling people to repentance, He condemned the sin without condemning the sinner. In his first epistle to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul emphasized the need of expressing this true love to each sheep of the Lord's flock. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have no charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things. Hopeth all things, endureth all things, and now abide faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. As we follow the Savior's example and teachings, we can assist people to fulfill their earthly mission and return to live with our Heavenly Father. Of this I bear you my testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>